This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Nabil Biyad, and here's what's coming up. There has been allegations of organs being harvested, and yet there is no law to regulate those who are doing this. That's Uganda legislator Sarah Opendi on a bill to criminalize the sale of human organs and tissue. All this and more coming up on African News Tonight. Burkina Faso may be undergoing another coup attempt, this time to oust the junta that grabbed power in January. Troops have blocked streets in the capital, and the state TV has stopped broadcasting after reports of heavy gunfire near the military camp where the junta leader is based. We are joined live by reporter Henry Wilkins from Ouagadougou. Welcome to the show, Wilkins. Thanks for having me. Gunfire, heavy deployment of, of troops, uh, the, the TV uh, national broadcaster is off the air. What is happening in Ouagadougou? Yeah, I mean, so two weeks this morning, there were reports of gunfire and explosions around the Wagga 2000 neighborhood of, uh, of the capital, Wagadougou, uh, where the main military base is, where the, uh, the military president, President Zanuba, is, uh, is also based, and the presidential palaces. Um, this morning, in the center of town, large parts of the city have been blocked off by uh, troops wearing ski masks, which is a fairly unusual thing to see. Uh, for troops on the on the streets of, of Wagadugu. Uh, they cut off parts of the city where there are government buildings, uh, the, the state broadcaster and the French uh, embassy. This afternoon, the, uh, the, the president's office came out with a statement saying that there had been, quote, a change in mood um, amongst the, the armed forces and that they were in negotiations to bring about uh, peace and serenity, were the words that they... Uh, that they used, but they didn't say explicitly that there was no coup or there had been no coup attempts. Um, That's so, an interesting uh, way to describe it, a change in mood. Sorry, could you repeat the question? The statement uh, the junta issued uh, said uh, there was a change in mood? Yes, so a change in mood within the armed forces. So... It seems that this, at the very least, at this stage is a, is a mutiny on the part of the armed forces. Whether it turns out to be a full-blown coup attempt or, or, or a coup that reaches completion uh, is, is yet to be seen. And what might be, uh, you know, behind this? What caused, what triggered uh, this uh, dispute within the army? Yeah, I mean, it, it really goes all the way back to. 2015. I mean, since then, uh, Burkina Faso has been locked in a conflict with uh, armed groups linked to Islamic State and Al Qaeda. Uh, security has worsened across the country ever since then. Dumba um, himself came to to power in a coup in uh, January, a military coup. He's a member of the military himself. Uh, and the, the coup really happened on, on the basis of the justification of the coup was that, uh, was that Danube would sort out the insecurity in the country. This hasn't happened. The number of attacks that are going on almost daily have not reduced. Uh, the government has lost even more ter- territory to uh, armed militants. 
Uh, and then on Monday this this week, there was an attack on a convoy which was headed to the town of, of Jibo in the north, a town which has been under siege by militants on and off for, for at least a couple of years now. Uh, the, the convoy was completely destroyed. Um, even though it had a military escort, 11 military dead, at least 50 uh, civilians missing. And in the short term, this is really what's, uh, what what people have been talking about in Wagadizu uh, over the last week. And, you know, it has yes. been a lot of uh, the members of the public cast doubt on how capable the uh, military junta is of um, keeping control of the security. Yes. And in the meantime, how is life in Ouagadougou when, when you get out, like in the streets? Are people moving around? I understand certain streets are blocked, the ones leading to the presidential palace and the, the TV station, uh, you know, I mean, heavy security de- deployment. How is life in Ouagadougou today? Yeah, I mean, largely, apart from the areas of the city that you just mentioned, which have been closed off by the, the military, people are, for the most part, going about their, their daily business. Um, some businesses have have closed, but, uh, but uh, you know, the majority of people seem to be, seem to be continuing on as, as normal. And has there been any response from the region uh, to what's happening in Burkina Faso? Not yet. I mean, there's, uh, I, I don't think anybody really knows at this stage what is happening in, in Burkina Faso, what, what the events of today represent. Uh, to, to my knowledge, no, there's been no, uh, there's been no comments from, from regional governments so far. Uh, thank you, Henry Wilkins, for joining us live from Ouagadougou. Of course, we'll continue uh, monitoring closely the situation uh, there. Thank you for being with us on African News tonight. Thank you. I spoke with research fellow at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies, Daniel Aizenga, about the fluid situation in Burkina Faso and what could be behind what observers say bears the hallmark of a coup attempt. There was a, a, a military coup in January this year um, that uh, ousted a Democratic elected uh, president uh, and his administration. Um, they were elected in 2020. Um, and the, the rationale put out by the junta at the time uh, was that the security situation in Burkina Faso had deteriorated so dramatically um, that they were left no choice but to take power um, and turn turn the tide. Um, Burkina Faso, for context, um, for the last several years, has been facing a growing militant Islamist insurgency um, that started out in the country's northern areas that border Mali and Niger, um, and has has spread into a much larger cross section of the country. It's now affecting um, the northern regions as well as the eastern regions and uh, pockets of the southwest. Yeah, you did mention the coup in January was justified uh, as a necessary security measure. Uh, But just to step back a little bit, what makes Burkina Faso so prone to these military power grabs? Uh, You already mentioned we had a coup in January. Now it seems a coup is afoot. What makes the country so fragile, you know, and and prone to these uh, coups? Yeah, so there, so there are two things, I think, that are going on here that are really important. One is that uh, military juntas are terrible at actually improving uh, the government response to security crises. 
Um, they're not well um, structured. They're not well trained uh, to govern. Uh, militaries are not set up to govern. And so when militaries take power, they justify it by saying that they're going to improve the security situation. But what happens is that they are often pulled into all different kinds of directions and distracted by having to now govern the entire country, which means more than just the security situation. With this junta that took power in January is that they haven't done a very good job. So the security situation remains um, as bad and getting worse uh, as it was before that coup. Um, so you can imagine that some of the soldiers are, are very disillusioned by this. Um, they, the, you know, they may be feeling like uh, the junta is not doing the job that it said it would do. We could do a better job. And so there's that element to it. And that goes into the second aspect of that. And that's that military governments are inherently unstable. Um, they, they, once the, the justification and rationalization for extra legal actions of taking power, um, you know, outside of a constitution um, is, has been made, then there's very little holding anybody back to say, you know, well, why don't we just do that? Um, the, essentially, the, the legal block there has been removed. Um, and, and, and once, so, so once that happens, then you get into a situation where um, coups just end up uh, becoming more and more likely. What is needed to break this vicious cycle of military coups? Um, I, I, you know, I think that the, this, this is a really important question right now for Sahelian governments. You know, I, I mentioned Mali's na- or Burkina Faso's neighbors, Mali to the north um, and Niger uh, to, to the east. Um, you know, Mali also has a military junta in power presently, uh, and the situation in Mali has deteriorated as well. In Niger, uh, by contrast, uh, you have a civilian elected government um, that has had its wrinkles and, and you know, it's not, it's not a perfect government. There isn't a perfect government in the world, uh, but they've been more effective in addressing the security crisis facing Niger. Uh, the situation in Niger has not deteriorated as, as sharply. Um, in fact, last year it was, it was a little bit better than the year before. Uh, and so, you know, there's some evidence to suggest here that um, when you have stable uh, government, uh, when political leaders and the and the military uh, follow constitutional order and they they give the respect that's enshrined within the constitution it's due uh, that the overall security situation is something that can be improved upon that was Daniel Izenga, research fellow at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies. He spoke with me this past hour here in Washington. The lawyer of a Rwandan genocide suspect on trial in The Hague says the prosecution's case is weak. Felicia Kabuga is accused of encouraging and funding the mass killings of more than 800,000 minority Tutsi and moderate Hutu in a 100-day rampage in 1994. The Associated Press says one of Kabuga's defense lawyers, Dove Jacobs, told the court that the prosecution's evidence is, in his words, weak, unverified, unauthenticated, and riddled with unverified hearsay. Kabuka's team says the case against him was built on a faulty narrative created to turn him into the perfect culprit. Kabuka, a wealthy businessman, is accused of using Radio Mil Colleen to encourage the killings of the Hutu government's opponents and for buying machetes and other weapons for Hutu militias. Kabuka has bleeded pleaded not guilty to incitement and conspiracy to commit genocide, as well as persecution, extermination, and murder.
David Vandy, international multimedia broadcaster for Voice of America, received a presidential award yesterday for his, quote, remarkable commitment and contributions to improving the lives of others, end quote. The United States President's Lifetime Achievement Award is presented by the African and Caribbean International Leadership Conference and Awards in collaboration with the U.S. Congressional Black Caucus. David is joining me in the studio to talk about what the award means to him. Thank you, David, for joining us. Oh, thank you so very much, Nabil, for having me here. And, you know, it's so good to be back. And congratulations. We're certainly proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. So tell me, how did you find out that you had been selected for this prestigious award? Well, um, actually, somebody nominated me. Um, you know, they, they, they put in nominations. And uh, when he told me, about that, I did not take it seriously because can you imagine coming from the small country in West Africa in Sierra Leone and then they say you've been nominated for the U.S. Presidential, presidential Achievement Award yes. for what you do. Uh, so I, I gave the, the bio of whatever information they asked for, but I just took it with a pinch of salt. And I said, okay, I did not say anything about it. I went about my normal business yes. until I received a letter in an email you know, from the uh, um, organizers, the African and Caribbean um, International Leadership and Conference Awards, and they say, you have been approved. Not just selected. Not yeah. just selected, but approved. approved. What was your to... reaction? <laughs> I was mute. You have been approved to receive a Presidential Lifetime Achievement Award from the U.S. President. Man, absolutely. I decided to, 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 to close the email and, and then sit back and, and watch what was going in. to happen. Let it you, sink in. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. let it sink in. And yesterday you were at the National Press Club to yes. receive the award. Tell us what happened there. Um, it was a big event. It was packed to capacity. You know, they had the Congressional Black Caucus having a conference before. And we have the VIP meet and greet with traditional dance and all this stuff. It was like an African setup, uh, like Africans and Caribbeans in America coming together to, to showcase ourselves and the things that we do. And so after that, then we were called into, into the room, uh, into the banquet hall where the award took place. Man, you cannot believe it. I was in the presence of His Royal Majesty, um, His Royal Majesty, Okataki Osafu Boache from Ghana. Yes. And you can imagine, you feel royalty when yes. you are in the presence of Absolutely. the royals. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, David, there are many awarding aspects, rewarding aspects, uh, rather, to our job, what we do, the storytelling, connecting with our audiences and, and, and these things. Uh, but when you get recognized like this, what kind of motivation does it give you? You see, um, I, 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 earlier this year, I was in Los Angeles, California, in Hollywood, to receive an African Achievement Award for media. And then on the early part of September, I received an African Community Service Award in Alexandria. So it has been a streak It has been a streak for you. And you know what I said in those awards? I, I had a line. I said, when your people begin to recognize the good work you're doing, know that you're actually doing something good. 
And when your people talk about the good things that you do from Africa, the world is going to recognize you. Absolutely. And then by the, by the time September comes to an end, I'm receiving a, a U.S. Presidential, presidential Lifetime Achievement Award. So you can imagine the kind of feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and so what is next now after the Presidential Award? Is this the sky or...? Well, like we say, it is, the sky is always the limit. Yes. We want to go beyond that. Absolutely. We want, they say shoot for the moon. If you miss, you will be amongst the stars. And they're all up there, right? Absolutely. So that, that's where I'm heading. Uh, David Vandy, thank you very much for joining us uh, in the studio. We're certainly proud of you. Thank you. And we wish you the best of luck in your future. Thank endeavors. you, my brother. And it's so, so much of a pleasure being here again. And I wish you all the best. Thank you. All right. The World Health Organization says cholera is surging around the world. It warns the situation is, ex is ex expected to worsen as the impact of climate change intensifies unless action is taken to boost cholera prevention. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. Flare-ups of the deadly disease have been reported in 26 countries in the first nine months of this year. In comparison, fewer than 20 countries reported cholera outbreaks per year between 2017 and 2021. In addition to greater frequency, the WHO reports the outbreaks themselves are larger and more deadly. While poverty and conflict are major triggers of cholera, climate change is a growing threat. Philippe Barbosa is the WHO team leader for cholera and epidemic diarrheal diseases. He says climate change presents an additional layer of complexity and creates the conditions for cholera outbreaks to explode. And this is what we have seen in the southern Africa uh, with, uh, you know, the succession of cyclones that affected uh, the, uh, the eastern part of the uh, African coast. Uh, the drought in, in East Africa is, uh, is driving population movement, uh, reducing access to, to water, which is already limited. So, of course, it's a key factor which is fueling the, uh, the outbreak. And the same, uh, the same in Sahel and uh, in other places. The WHO says 15 of the 26 cholera-infected countries are in Africa. Babosa says massive climate-induced floods in Southeast Asia also have resulted in large outbreaks of cholera in Pakistan and Bangladesh. He says many countries that have made significant progress in controlling cholera are now back to square one. Cholera is an acute diarrheal disease caused by contaminated food or water. It can kill within hours if left untreated. Barboza says cholera outbreaks can be prevented by ensuring access to clean water, basic sanitation and hygiene, as well as stepping up surveillance and access to health care. This is why we need a country to do, but that's easier said than done. Although many of the cholera-affected countries are actively engaged in these efforts, they are facing multiple crises, including conflict and poverty. And this is why international action is so important. He says the situation is serious, but not hopeless. He notes cholera, after all, is a preventable and treatable disease. With the right foresight in action, he says the current global crisis can be reversed. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva.
A police raid in Equatorial Guinea has led to the arrest of a major opposition leader and 150 supporters. The French news agency AFP reports that police apprehended the former head of the band Citizens for Innovation Party, Gabriel Lince Obiang Obono. The broadcast said party militants shot dead one policeman in the operation, which included a raid on the home of Obono who was arrested for not responding to a state summons to appear in court. The state is investigating an alleged opposition plot to attack government ministers. Authorities say four other people were apprehended as part of the scheme. Obono threatened street protest if the government did not allow him to participate in November's presidential and legislative elections. The arrests come after the 80-year-old President Teodoro Obiang Nguema Umbasogo announced he will run for re-election after more than 43 years in power. He has never won less than 93% of the vote. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The United States is designating Liberian government officials Nathaniel McGill, Minister of State for Presidential Affairs and Chief of Staff to President George Wyeth, Seema Cyrenius Cephas, the Solicitor General and Chief Prosecutor of Liberia, and Bill Twewe, the Managing Director of the National Port Authority, for their involvement in ongoing public corruption in Liberia. McGill has used his position to undermine the integrity and independence of Liberia's democratic institutions and subvert government priorities for personal gain. Cephas has developed close relationships with suspects of criminal investigations and has received bribes from individuals in exchange for arranging for their cases to be dropped. Twewe has used his position at the National Port Authority to corruptly advance his own personal wealth and political agenda. All three are being designated pursuant to Executive Order 13818, which implements the Global Magnitsky Human Rights Accountability Act and targets perpetrators of serious human rights abuse and corruption around the world. Through their corruption, these officials have undermined democracy in Liberia for their own personal benefit, said Undersecretary of the Treasury for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence Brian Nelson. Treasury's designations demonstrate that the United States remains committed to holding corrupt actors accountable and to the continued support of the Liberian people. Corruption has long undermined Liberia's democracy and its economy, robbing the Liberian people of funds for public services, empowering illicit actors, degrading the business environment, and damaging the rule of law and effective governance in the country. Corruption also contributes to diminished confidence in government and public perception of impunity for those with power. These designations reaffirm the commitment of the United States to hold corrupt actors accountable. The United States stands with the people of Liberia in support of democracy and the rule of law and will continue to promote accountability for corrupt actors, regardless of their position or political affiliation. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa claims he is innocent of allegations of money laundering. The Associated Press notes he is accused of illegally holding about 4 million USD in cash at his ranch and covering it and covering up its theft to hide the existence of the money. 
the new services. He told Parliament yesterday that the money came from the sale of rare animals from his game farm. He said he reported the theft to his presidential protection unit. Ramaphosa has said he would cooperate with any props into the incident. Ramaphosa, Ramaphosa is being investigated by the police and by a panel of independent legal experts over the money laundering allegations. The scandal comes as he seeks re-election as leader of the ruling African National Congress at its conference in December. The AP says if he loses the confidence of the party, he could be forced to resign. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. And thank you again for tuning in and for choosing the Voice of America.